G'day everyone, welcome back to part B of the help side with Jane Claxton. We'll pick it up right where we left off with Jane talking to us about what high performance looks like to her. After, you'll hear Jane talk about the uglier side of elite sport and her experience with overcoming the demons that exist in such a pressure cooker environment. From there, we move on to talking about life balance and what's next. Enjoy. Let's go to high performance because, um, as I said, you have played a lot of games for the Hockeyroos and captained them um, on a few occasions. And obviously, performing at that higher level with all those major tournament selections under your belt, um, I'm interested in your take on high performance and um, what get you to what got you to where you are and what drives you to maintain that standard. Very yeah. Um, difficult question, I think, in the fact that you never really think about it. You just do it. Mm. Um, but on reflection of my career and I guess the attributes that have allowed me to continue to be in an elite environment, which is extremely hard, um, it takes a toll on you mentally and physically, um, as, you, as you would know, um, I think it is your ability to compartmentalise and not allow external things like um, family life, relationships, uni, work, impact on each other and hockey. Um, I think the moment you let each bleed into the other, they all um, don't succeed. And so having... It's not It's not a... a um, it's not, uh, I guess, a craziness about you, but being really focused on what you're doing when you're doing it, whether it's uni, whether it's your relationship, whether it's on the hockey field. I find it's so incredibly important, especially when you get to an elite athlete environment, getting stepping onto the hockey field and that being your release for the day where you don't have to think about anything bad or like your uni assignment that's due mm. or work or your relationship you get to just be in that zone without it being impacted I think is so crucial it's incredibly hard to do it's um and that's but that's definitely I think a skill that you see in a lot of really successful professional athletes the ones that end up winning multiple gold medals or um just being at the top of their game for so long is their ability to just solely focus on what they're doing when they're doing it um and so training yourself, rocking up to training and not being like, oh, I'm so tired today, I'll just, I'll just be here and get it done. Um, rocking up to training and wanting to put that 100% into that training and win the mini games or like improve whatever flow through skill you're practicing, really honing your attention down to that one, two hours of training. Yeah. Mm. Do you ever go through periods where you don't want to go to training and you don't want to be there or that just doesn't happen? Oh, definitely, definitely. I love hockey. I love hockey, but um, the elite athlete environment takes its toll sometimes mm. and you, yeah, you can go through months and months of just just getting to training is the hard part. Um, but I think that's natural. I think we're all human. You can't love something unconditionally all the time without having your highs and lows and especially when you're not experiencing success if you're really struggling if you're not performing um that adds to it and so it's really as i say when you're winning everything's great when you're losing everything is falling apart and it can impact so many aspects of your life and so i think it's really important to have different aspects of your life so when hockey's failing 
oh, actually I'm doing really well at uni or I'm doing really well at my job or I've created a new relationship. And so that's the other aspect of it is you're going to have really dark moments um, because you're micromanaged as a professional athlete. Like you're pushed to your end degree because they want to see what your end degree is. And so physically and mentally that can take its toll when you're getting told day in, day out what you're bad at because unfortunately in our environment or at that elite end, it's you don't focus on the strength as much. You do focus on the weaknesses because that's, in many respects, what's going to lose you a medal, then gain you a medal in, in some way. Um, and so, yeah, it's definitely, there's dark moments, but having that ability to refocus on a different area in those dark moments is really crucial. Mm. Is there a, um, is, is this a lesson learned from experience or is this something that you've always kind of been conscious of? Uh, no, I think it's a lesson learned from both observation and experience. I yeah have battled my own inner demons. I've battled relationship breakdowns and a lot of little things that impact you along the way. Um, lack of performance. When I first got in the program, I was I felt so out of my depth. Like all these girls were so talented. I had Casey Easton, Donnie Blythe. Um, to Neil Attar, Jody Kenny, like all these amazing athletes, and I could barely drag a ball. I remember one time um, Adam Commons, our coach at the time, took me off the field, dragged me to the Kookaburras training, where ironically Paul Godoyne was running a session, and he gets everyone to stand there and he gets me to just feed a ball into a goal. And he turns to Godoyne, um, Paul Godoyne and goes, what's wrong with it? Why does it look so funny? And he was like getting everyone's feedback and everyone was inputting into why I pushed the ball funny. And I was just like, this is very traumatic. It was like after it, I laughed because I was like, wow, that was an intense, intense moment. But um, I actually, yeah, now looking back on it, um, laugh because it wasn't done in ill intent. It was done because he just could not understand why I couldn't do this skill and he wanted someone else to look at it. Um, but it just happened that all of the kookaburras were also looking at it. And so I was just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so it's like moments like that where you're just like, wow, I, like you feel like you're this, the shitty wheel on the shopping trolley and um, you're dragging everyone behind, which I think for a good four years of my career, that's what I thought I was. Mm. Um, and so it's only until recently that I've really gained any confidence in my ability and in injecting myself into the game. Mm. Um that yeah you you start feeling like you belong mm. in, and you should be wearing the hockey roos uniform that kind of thing mm. i mean um the for people who don't know the to be voted the hockey roos player of the year it is it's voted by the coaches and the players i believe um so i think is that right i think it, i think it's more uh, i don't think it's the players well i've never voted for anything i think it's more a panel of people like the selection panel for each tournament so they have obviously the coaches but they also have three external um panels selected i think after each tournament they um contribute votes three to one to who they think in that tournament played well and accumulates throughout the year i think that's the method um but i don't think in for the hockey roos we haven't contributed for the time i've been in the program for it okay regardless two um hockey roos player of the year 2018 2020 um, and one of the most consistent and I would say robust players, definitely in the, in the hockey roos team. Um, 
And for anyone who hasn't seen Jane play, she's very much the general, like a defensive absolute <laughs> engine um, and very, very consistent is what I would say. So how important is the self-belief piece? I mean, personally, it surprises me that the first four years of you being in the program, you could feel like that. Um, and that seems yeah. seems like a very long time for a start. I mean, like two weeks is a long yeah. time, but four years is a very long time. Um, and yeah. can you tell us about how you got yourself out of that and, and mm. your your take on self-belief? Definitely. Um, I'm, I'm also uh, my, my own worst critic in the fact that I was surrounded by hugely talented women like Casey Easton. I don't think I've seen someone as talented as her other than I think Amar. Um, and so I was in her line and I was subbing her off the field um, like, <laughs> and to not deliver at her standard when she came off and like still provide the team with momentum, I guess that was my comparison. And that's why I didn't, for that period, I was just so down on myself that I couldn't, I couldn't provide what she provided when she was off the field. Um, so that was definitely, that was hard. That was hard when you're around that talent. I'm sure you've, you know, being around someone like Mark Knowles, very similar. <laughs> you just, they, they're once in a generation talent that you wish just happened every year, but they don't. And, unfortunate not unfortunately very fortunate to have played with her um yeah I just compared myself against her and so that was a struggle but um it didn't it was I think it came with maturity um 20 is still a mature age but um in terms of international caps and going on tour I was surrounded by a lot of older girls and so I was definitely I put myself in a really young girl category until they kind of left the team and um, I had to progress into a more senior role. I think that's when I started taking myself a little bit more seriously and said, you have to be the impact. You have to be the driving force in this team because no longer do you, can you rely on the Madonna Blyce and the Casey Easton's are no longer here. You have to step up to the mark. And so it was more their departure that I think caused my maturity. Mm. Um, which is sad because you kind of wish that you were playing at and had that confidence and high standard whilst they were there because maybe you could have made a better impact and changed in some way. But, um, yeah, they, they were great to train with and they had such high standards of themselves. And I remember even my first training, um, we were just doing hit-up and I was just pushing and trapping. I'm not sure who with. And then Adam Collins, Louis was always to come in and... He just ripped us to shreds about how he didn't take hidden traps seriously enough. And I was like, oh, my God. What is and then he's like, now look at Casey. And then <laughs> he got Casey to hidden trap with him. And he's like, look at her intensity. That's what everyone needs. And so <laughs> from that point onwards, I just, every time I go to hidden trap, I just imagine Casey and what Casey would do. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's just those little things where you're just like, wow, like she's just always great. <laughs> so mm. it's, a, it's a huge pressure um, being competing for a position in her line, um, but also, yeah, stepping up to that standard was a huge pressure. But as I said, I think it came with their departure that I matured and backed myself to really have an impact. Mm -hmm. So that that backing yourself piece, that, that really was from um, just a new role and you didn't really have a choice in the matter? Yeah, it was, it was like the push I needed, I think, um, after Rio... Um, we obviously didn't get the result we wanted and usually athletes have their career marked around Olympics to retire. And so I knew a lot of them were departing the program after that. Um, so yeah, 
it was it was definitely a push I needed and I don't think I would have made it if they did hang around and um, stay within the program because I would have still taken that back seat a little bit. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, and yeah. you've, you've gone on to captain your country. Um, I can't find stats on how many times, but it's, that's a, it's a huge, few, not too many. <laughs> it's an honor regardless. Is there yeah. oh, anything, huge honor. anything about um, captaincy that you, I mean, I was talking to, I guess, Morris, Morris first a few weeks ago and he was saying about bringing your own, more or less in as many words, way more eloquently put despite his native German tongue. But um, yeah, it's bring your own. They can speak English better than us. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's horrific. But yeah, bring your own kind of brand to the um, mm. to captaincy. Is that something that you, what did you think about when you got called to, to be a captain? Yeah, I think, as you said, the way I play probably lends myself more naturally to being a leader. Like um, I like communicating on the field. I like bringing people together and like formulating the pressing structure and I and being in that center half role often lends itself to being a leader because you you, it's forced not forced on you but I love doing it anyway Mm. and I think a lot of girls on my team would get annoyed with how much I chat to them on the field (laughs) um and so yeah naturally I have those leadership qualities on the field I think um for me um, the off the field leadership is probably where I struggle the most because I'm so blunt and to the point and matter of fact, and I'm not great at the fluffy stuff. I'm not great at sitting on the fence and um, not having an opinion. I, I like having an opinion and I like having standing one side of the fence, but I respect the people standing on the opposite side. So the off the field leadership is something I really struggled with. Um, and yeah, as I said, on field came more naturally and. Um, due to my role in the team, definitely um, suited me. And so, yeah, I think it was such a huge honour to have that experience, but it definitely highlighted to me um, where I'm not such a holistic leader as um, you might come across. A lot of people can do both. They can be the general on the field and they can be the soft touch off the field. And um, I just didn't have that (laughs) softer touch off the field. I really struggled with that aspect of it because um, I'm very hard-nosed in, in black and white and the fact that, um, no, you need to do this, you can't do that, it's not a sacrifice, you just do it because we want to win. Whereas, um, yeah, I think there has to be a lot more conversation happening and so some I've definitely gotten better at it. When I was early stages, I was definitely, it was two different James, like one on the hockey field and then, um, one off the hockey, uh, off the hockey field. They're very similar. Um, whereas now, sorry, I'm two slightly different people, slightly. Um, but I can have a lot more of those softer conversations, and people can approach me off the hockey field to voice their opinion and stuff like that. Mm. So yeah, it was a really good learning curve for me and how I fitted in with the group and how I needed to change in order to. Um, and adapt my communication style to get the most out of everyone around me. Mm. Were there any leaders that you kind of looked up to or tried to model yourself on coming through? Um, I think I I really loved um, Juliet Haslam. So also South Australian born, ex-hockey roo, well, current hockey roo, she's always hockey roo, Um, amazing captain, um, coming from SA as well, obviously heartstrings. Um, and so she was, I think, similar personality to me in the fact that on the field was business, um, but she was definitely a lot better at that off-field 
um, leadership. And so, yeah, I've often communicated a lot with her and shared a lot of stories and struggles and things and gotten her advice on how to how to progress your skills as a leader. And so she's been invaluable in that experience, having been in it herself, captain Olympic sides, um, captain in that golden era where they were expected to win and um, they did win and they lived up to expectations, but also sometimes they didn't. I think it was during a Champions Trophy where they came fourth or something and she was saying how incredibly difficult it was to convince everyone that it didn't mean that the team was shit. It just meant that they didn't get it right. And so, yeah, it's been, she's probably been one that I would highlight as the best influence in my leadership style. Gotcha. So for, um, I guess for people listening, being part of the the hockey setup, I guess, being part of the hockey ruse, it's not kind of like a weekend sport thing whereby you have your own separate lives and then you come and compete over tournaments or something like that. Or like in the European setup, I guess, yeah. again, I'm not sure, but um, yeah. with club comps, so so prominent um it's not like a well it doesn't seem to be a 365 day a year commitment but no. that's very much possibly the way it is with with you guys yeah i definitely yeah you i definitely think there is a difference between how the northern hemisphere set up their programs to compared to us and even new zealand um we're very full on in the fact that it's all year round even through club um, season, we don't train with club, um, which I think does definitely need a change because we're slowly seeing the impact of that and the fact that the club standard is definitely slipping. Um, and so we don't have that heavy club focus like you would see in Holland and Belgium where mm. that's the priority during that part of training um, mm. and international t- hockey takes a bit of a back backstop. It's always here international is the priority Mm. um which as you said it's like it's a takes a toll on you like after a year you're like wow i've spent so much time with the same people (laughs) day in day out (laughs) there's been no break um but amazingly like i think both squads function pretty great considering how much time we spend with each other and that's a huge kudos i think to each of the individuals involved in each of those programs is the fact that we're so great at being flexible and adapting to our environment and not bending over backwards, but definitely bending a lot to um, be a part of this program and continue that 365 day a year Mm. commitment. Um, Mm. It's interesting. Yeah, I do. I do always wonder if we swapped roles and we did the European style, if we would be more successful or we wouldn't, or if we need that constant high level um, training that we do have now, Um, that is something I've always questioned, but yeah. It's interesting. It's a, it's like, it's called the high performance environment over in Perth and the daily training environment and and what have you, but really it's a, I guess it's a high performance relationship. And I know you spoke um, before about how like an emotional um, attachment or affinity with your teammates is so important to to team performance. Something that gets Mm -hmm. thrown around a lot with high performance is you can hardly read a book on high performance without talking, talking about culture. Um, and if you're, if you're with a team or you're with a, a group mm. of 27 women for pretty much day in, day out, twice a day at yeah. times going away, literally living with each other, um, mm. how big is this? What, what, what do you think, like how much stock should we put in this culture thing? And, and what do you think, um, what do you think it is? Um, and- yeah, 
Um, I really struggle with the word culture and I think it's obviously really overdone these days, as you said. I think, yeah, I've, I, I don't know if like it, there, I definitely think there needs to be a general um, push in the right direction and that you all need to be on board for that push. But within that, there's just so many different personalities that I don't think you can put a sheet over everyone and say, this is how we behave, this is, this is our values, this, this is what you will do, basically. Like, there's just so many different personalities and by putting the blanket over some of them, you actually make them play and perform worse. Um, and so I do wonder if there was none, no culture talk, there was no weekly psych meetings or development we if it would make a difference or not or if we would still you know be able to function and be a very cohesive group on our own rather than it being really um formalized mm. so i always wonder that because i'm i'm just such a person that i hate forcing a relationship on someone i hate being like let's catch up for coffee because i've been told that we we don't talk mm. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm really, I'm really awkward with that type of stuff. Like, I just like it happening organically. And if, yeah, one day we're both free after training, let's grab a coffee, let's do it, rather than it being a really formal process. I really struggle with that aspect of elite performance. But I do understand that it does, is holds value to some people. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit of a sceptic, I guess, at the end of the day. And I hate the buzzword of culture. Um, but... You know, um, I attend the meetings, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, you also said about the, the different parts of being an athlete. I mean, a lot of people would just see Jane Claxton on the hockey field um, wearing the bodysuit or wearing the new Hockey Roos uniform, which is no longer a bodysuit. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of things about being an athlete, and we've covered a few of them um, that people don't see. What would you say the most difficult thing about being an athlete is that, that people might not know about? Um, difficult thing. I think it's just the daily daily training environment. I think, unfortunately for the Hockey Roos, we probably haven't had as much... Oh, we, can, we get compared to the golden era of the Hockey Roos where they're winning everything, winning medals, um, winning it's every tournament they pretty much attend. And it's a high bar to reach and you will always get compared to that. And... For some, and I think also like whenever you're looking back on something, the bar just keeps rising. And so I don't think we'll ever meet the bar um, because people just keep extending it and suddenly they're like superheroes and you can never <laughs> obtain it. So um, by that aspect, I don't think um, we'll ever reach the end goal. But definitely I think in the, um, this recent, especially my role in the program, we probably have underperformed. But like I don't think people see the daily training toll and how much effort and time you put into it. And then you go away from a tournament and you lose a few games and then suddenly you're in the bottom five and people are, going, oh, are wanting wanting heads on the chopping block saying, oh, the coach isn't doing their job, this person shouldn't be in the team and having their opinion on selection. But what they don't understand is actually like those girls are the best in the squad. But, yeah, we we went away and we didn't perform but damn, we put in a lot of effort on the daily daily training environment. So I think it's that, the fact that people only see a snippet of what we are, but we're just so much more and we, we have, we put, invest so much time into this one job we have. 
and yeah, we go away and maybe we don't perform or maybe we do. Um, but that's only what people see. And so it's so incredibly hard when you see those comments on social media and or comments on newspaper articles and things like that where people are like questioning the coaching style or the selections and telling people they other people should be selected. It's so hard because you know how much each individual athlete puts in to their role. And so that's definitely the hardest part, I think. Mm-hmm. I want to just come back to to that kind of gold standard that that is forever yeah. beyond reach. I mean, I'd be interested to, you know, having you raise that point now, I'd be interested to, to go back and talk to Trent Powell and talk to Rochelle Hawks about um, whether there were teams that they aspired to be like um, in yeah, their past, true. you know. It always seems like there's this golden golden yeah. era of, of hockey. And what was before team. that? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So it's yeah, a, exactly. It, but I guess that's kind of what drives high performance. I'm not sure. That's not yeah. what I'm to say. I don't know. No, no, exactly. Our hero of hockey for this week is Travis Carstens. Big thanks to Shane Carruthers for the nomination. Now, Travis is heavily involved with the Campbelltown Collegiate Hockey Club. He coaches a number of junior teams, has had a spell at club president, and continues to volunteer with the club's board in an executive role. Shane writes that Travis is a mentor to all who need him, including players, coaches, and anyone else who might need his help. On top of that, he still dons the kit every week and is guaranteed to be giving his all out there on the pitch. Good on you, Travis. You're in the running to receive a voodoo prize pack valued at up to 600 Aussie dollars. And remember, it's not too late to nominate your hero of hockey. So if you know someone who deserves some recognition for their contribution to a hockey club, please don't hesitate to get in touch and get your hero in the running to win the voodoo prize pack. Plus, just for nominating, you'll instantly get a $100 voucher to be spent on a fresh voodoo hockey stick. Check out our socials for details. Moving on about uh, women in sport, because in the last probably five to 10 years, I would say there's been a massive wave um, of, of an upwards trajectory with women in professional sport. And you mentioned Georgia Nanskorn, who's a great exponent of being able to mm go to an Olympic Games, um, go and, and play for Australia, et cetera, and then move and transition into the AFLW um, with the Western Bulldogs, I believe. Um, yeah. Is that right? Yeah, I think, I think so. Essendon. So. Essendon. Um, okay. Yeah. What, are you, what are your thoughts on that? Because it, it seems like, um, for mine, it does seem a little bit like there all, there's this wave of um, mm. you know, the netball became massive and the AFLW became huge. And, um, you know, there was Sam Kerr and the Matildas and they were Australia's darlings, basically, who are dominating yeah. on the world stage. And um, here are the hockey roos who, are, who have performed for such a long time. What do you, how do you feel about that, that kind of wave, I guess? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, especially even recently, like the last three or four years, there's been such a huge drive of getting women in sport and proving to young girls that it is a profession. It's not just a profession for males. Like you see AFL, cricket, it can be a profession for females and not thinking that it's, yeah, really exclusive in that fact and really keeping women engaged and girls engaged in sport has been, I think there's been such a massive shift. And as you said, like cricket and netball have done such an amazing job at really raising the bar at their high end to show that there is legitimate employment opportunities where you can make a decent income rather than you know having to quit sport and do your normal a a nine-to-five job in an office you can be successful in that sporting route which I find 
so incredibly fortunate for that next generation coming through whilst I might not be directly impacted by it now I like I'm just so jealous of the girls coming through because I think they have such a great platform as you said from that movement um to create a a career in sport and hopefully we see that I guess turnover and success with medals and um more and more i guess accolades coming australia's way in the field of women's sport because yeah i don't see many negatives coming from something like that there's definitely a positive that and yeah like you can can look at the aflw and say that it's been propped up by the afl the men's side but every i think initiation of a program and sport needs that teething period um and so yeah i definitely think it's going to be such a great avenue for girls to keep in sport um because so many i know the reason they drop off is because they're like well i need money to live and i need to go to uni and i need to get a job and this is not a viable option so it just comes a hobby for them Mm. so yeah i think the one huge benefit is having a viable career in Mm. sport longer term Mm. for females Mm. I guess um, the follow-up question would be with all these um, sports flourishing, I guess, outside of hockey. I mean, there was this this golden era through the 1990s. And I remember um, talking to, I think it was Trini, maybe Rochelle, about how yeah. there was just a, so many people to choose from during the 90s. Um, perhaps a lot yeah. more women played hockey back then, whereas now there are all these sports that are a viable option. Yeah. Do you think that's kind of threatening hockey and the success of, <laughs> of Australian hockey yeah, in the future? Or? Yeah, I definitely think it is a threat, but it's also a good threat in the fact that maybe it'll give us a good kick up the ass to reinvent <laughs> ourselves because um, that's what every sport's had to do because they've obviously lost numbers and I think hockey hasn't had that pressure, but now it's mounting and now we're having girls crossing codes, going to cricket, going to mm. AFL because there's better opportunity, going to soccer, like there's... I think we need to start reinventing ourselves, not only as a women's sport, just a sport in general, to draw in those junior numbers to create a better base. Um, so, yeah, it's, it is a huge threat, but not one that we should take negatively. I think we should use it and grow from it. Healthy competition. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, you look at, uh, like, in Sydney, I, I'm, I'm from Sydney, and I'm, like most kids growing up, I mean, the easiest way to make money was to coach a private school girls team or to umpire like year sevens on grass or something like that and the amount of numbers who the amount of young girls who play hockey in australia is it seems like everyone plays and then there seems to be this huge kind of drop off whether it becomes you know like i don't know people want to it happens with all sport and um across men and women obviously but um people just kind of drop away from sport because they want to do their own thing they want to go to uni they want to go out and party etc etc um do you you have any opinion on how to keep people or translate that school hockey into more mainstream club and and progression through the hockey roost sort of deal i definitely think there needs to be more of a connection between the school and club system whether it's like you have an affiliate club with your school that if you are a promising hockey player, netball player, what have you, they send you to that club to go, oh, like if you want to further your skills or development, go to go into club, um, club land and be around people that are of similar interests and skill levels so you can grow. Um, I'm not, not probably overly knowledgeable on the community sport aspect, <laughs> but I'm um, not sure if I have very um, economical views on it, but 
I guess at the end of the day, you look at successful grassroots level sports and they have a lot of funding. And I feel like that's kind of what you need. You need a lot of money pumped into that grassroots level to progress it um, and make it real regularly available. Having Australian players going to schools and talking about hockey and you spark that little girl's interest that potentially was going to play netball that year. But she was like, actually, mum, I think I'm going to play hockey. And, you know, then their school has all these different clubs that they can go, oh, we'll go play for X club or Y is a club. Um, so definitely that community engagement from a scene, like an international player, I know how impactful it can be. And so I guess definitely from my perspective, that's probably what we could do more um, because who doesn't love when you're a little kid when like this superstar, even if you have no idea who they are, they've got <laughs> an Olympic uniform and a medal from somewhere, you immediately idolise them. So, yeah, that's probably from our perspective what I individually can do. Um, but unfortunately, we don't have the funding capacity to make it a viable option because I also need to work. I can't be attending school visits all day. So, yeah. True. Speaking of work, um, you mentioned a few times about... Um, you're an occupational therapist. You graduated from Curtin with first class honours, I believe, last year. Yeah. Awesome. Um, <laughs> what's next? I mean, obviously, um, you've got a few years left playing for the Hockey Roos, several, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully. And uh, yeah. what's next? Yeah, so I originally wasn't planning until graduating till end of this year because I wanted to do all my pracs all in one at, after Tokyo. But I had a strange, weird um, epiphany late last year and goes, no, nah, I'm actually just going to do my prac right now in the middle of pro league. Uh, and, yeah, I'll make it work. And so <laughs> I did my final prac at the end of last year. Um, like on weekends, I was travelling to pro league games within Australia and playing them and then coming back and doing, I don't know what was wrong with me. Um, but, I, I, yeah, I did that and I also had my honours thesis due so I was do doing that as well. It was, I don't know what happened to me. Um, but yeah, I graduated and um, hit the ground running with a job. It's probably not in my ideal industry. I'm um, in workers' compensation, which I rehab injured workers back to their role. Um, it's rewarding when you get it right and you like hit all the milestones and they are great and they return to work and everyone's cheering. But like that's probably like 1% of the population. The rest is like... A lot of, and I've learned so many things from it, a lot of people management skills, a lot of administrative type skills. Yeah, just, and a lot of like legal um, jargon and conversations that I normally wouldn't have as an OT um, I've had in this last six months. So it's been invaluable in that aspect. Um, but definitely my heart is probably in um, burns rehabilitation. So people that have been suffered a burn to, a major part of their body and for OTs we help them I guess rehabilitate that part of their body whether it's by compression garments range of motion exercises you know um, helping them I guess manage their pain um, and rehabilitate from quite a significant injury and I'm very fortunate to have a mentor in um, Fiona Wood who heads up the Burns um, unit in Fiona Stanley in Perth um, so yeah, she's given me a lot of experience in the field, which hopefully once hockey, um, tones down a bit, um, I can kind of explore that side of OT, but for now, the, my current job really suits hockey 
and I've kind of had the ideology that I'll focus as much as I can on hockey as long as I can and then mm. the rest of my uh, professional career outside of hockey can you know it can happen at any time when mm. I and you can grow it at any time whereas being an elite athlete is very a small window and so I'm happy to kind of yeah, be in a job where it's not like my dream job and I don't think anyone ever gets their dream job straight out of uni, but definitely I'm learning a lot of stuff and progressing my professional career. So, yeah, that's how I kind of see where I want to be. Um, it might change. I might end up just loving workers' compensation <laughs> being in it for the long run, but, um, yeah, I still have a huge passion for rehabilitation, and especially from burns. So, yeah. Mm. Have you been able to apply any of your high-performance hockey learnings into the workplace or vice versa? Almost definitely. I think the biggest win we have as an elite athlete is how to people manage. Like you are with 24, 27 people every day. You have to be able to like communicate individually with those, communicate with coaches. Um, You have so many relationships to manage that when you go into the workplace, it's almost easy because you're like, oh, okay, yeah, like I've been in this situation. I know how to adjust my personality to suit each different um, circumstance. So that's what I found really easy about the transition is we're trained really well at how to people manage as elite athletes without even knowing it. Mm. Um, But also we're trained so well in expecting such a high standard from ourselves. Um, And by and large in the workforce, potentially it's not the same. Like I I often get told by my my boss to like calm down and not be so hard on myself and like everything's okay and stop stop stressing about the tiny little things. He's like, you're doing fine. And he has to keep reminding me because I'm just so, as an early athlete, you're driven to um, want to succeed and anything below success is pretty much failure. And so that doesn't really correlate well with work. They're kind of they almost like you making mistakes because you're like, oh, now you've learned. Whereas I'm like, oh, God, I've made a mistake. I'm going to get fired. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. Um, we're going to leave it there, but we usually do a series of questions at the end. Um, I'm yeah. sure I'm sure you know because um, you did confess to listening to a couple of episodes beforehand. So first off, who's the best player you've ever played with? Well, I'm gonna, I was going to say Casey Easton, but I know Anna Flanagan said her last week, uh, so I don't want to be copycat. Um, <laughs> but I would say, yeah, Madonna Blythe, captain of the Hockey Roos for the entire um, five years, I think I was in the program with her, an amazing human as well. So it was, it was more than just hockey for Madonna? Yeah, yeah. She definitely lived a, a really good elite athlete life that you could – that I think has inspired a lot of inspired sorry, a lot of people around her and being a young girl coming into the team, being around someone like that makes a huge positive impact in the moulding of you as a professional athlete. And best you've ever played against? Um, oh, has to be Ava Deguda. Mm. Um, yeah, I was at the end of Amar's career, so I didn't get the best of Amar. Um, but definitely I'd say Ava is such a huge dominating force in women's hockey and rightfully so. She's just a great talent, but also not like a selfish talent, a huge team player mm. and draws on the strengths of those around her. And I think that's something that I really love about hockey players. Mm. 
Well, it's, it's quite cool as well because you guys would often find yourself marking, directly marking yeah. each other. Yeah, definitely. It's so great. Um, yeah. I mean, it's an interesting, <laughs> it's an interesting part of hockey whereby like, yeah, um, I mean, you can learn the most off. I'm not saying this is the case for you and Ava, but you, you literally, the, the person who you're closest to on the field is probably the person that you can learn the most off. At the same time, exactly. it's your job to stop them doing anything. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Oh, and in, like the amount of paranoia I get when I'm having to man-to-man mark her is through the roof. <laughs> I like think I'm in the contest and then suddenly she's already past me, passing it to someone else. And, oh, it's, yeah, it's amazing to witness. It's horrible to participate in. <laughs> <laughs> Good contest though. Last question. Um, you're, you're incredibly consistent um these days you always always have an impact on the game um and i'm sure anyone who's listening who's seen you play um would agree with that is there a secret to your consistency and what is your secret to to being a consistent international hockey player well thank you for saying that um personally i never think i am consistent but you know that's just me (laughs) um uh, consistency um i think having the same routine like pre-game pre-training you shouldn't change very much it should be i like going into a game very calm i hate head banging music i hate getting amped up i i don't like the pep talks i like being in a really calm mindset because i'm very clear and concise and i think having that in preparation day in day out is like invaluable i know people talk about it all the time you know setting aside time to think about how you prepare your mind and your body for hockey or whatever game you're playing but if you want consistency it's the same repetition and you don't get bored of doing the same thing you don't mix it up you don't try a different formula once you found something that really suits your personality it doesn't suit everyone else it suits you you will see how much benefit you have with yeah your consistency brilliant Thanks, Jenna. That was perfect. Thank you very much for, for joining no us. That worries. was that was fantastic. Sorry, and I just like like you know just <laughs> kept talking and talking and talking. <laughs> no, it was brilliant. It was brilliant. Um, and all the best for the for the super camp coming up um, towards the Thank end of the year. No, it's exciting to have to play some competitive games. That's it for another episode of the Help Side. Special thanks to my production team of David Moore and Tim Collier, plus countless others working behind the scenes to get this to you. You're the real MVPs. Again, if you're liking the show, please like, subscribe, you know the drill, and get in touch with us via our socials. We would love to hear from you. Anyway, that's all, folks. See you next week.